is Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. All right, welcome everyone to Real Kipper and Board featuring Brent Gunning. Last day today, Brent. How's it, how's it been for you? It's been wonderful. Always love uh, coming in with you guys, but uh, daytime listeners not getting rid of me. Morning show, next four days. Oh, so there, really? There you go. But yes, I'm, uh, I oh, always wow. like uh, being with you guys. Significant hour shift for you. Yes. Well, we look forward to hearing you Please. there. You, you know me. I have a child. Not significant hour <laughs> yeah, shift. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we got David Sis on tech, and we got Connor Lamont filling in for Brandeo today. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And back from the desert in Arizona. Return. Fresh, rejuvenated, refreshed after a vacation. Yeah. Full of life and energy. And Vim Sam and McKee. Welcome back, pal. Hey, boys. How was your trip? <sighs> Quite good. Yeah. Quite good. I really, really <laughs> enjoyed myself. Um, Arizona, hell of a state. Scottsdale, hell of a city. <laughs> lots of golf. Lots of fun. Uh, a couple orange crushes along the way. Yeah. But I had an absolute blast. The least uh, enjoyable part of the trip was the 12 hours at Sky Harbor Airport yesterday, uh. followed by a red eye uh, leaving Arizona at 11 p.m. Pacific time, getting in here at 6.30 a.m. Uh, our time. Today? So, today, yeah. Was your flight delayed? Why were you at the airport so long? Uh, because we had to get the rental car back. Oh. So it's like, we were, God. So we just, I just literally... Did you drink beers in the airport? No, and then you... no, I laid on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Just full of, like, shame from the weekend. Buddy, my scaries yesterday were hitting hard. I'm okay now. I'm all right now. I I got home uh, around 6.30, had a nice long sleep, and I'm back. You never told told us how you played. I played quite well. Played five rounds of golf. I did. At varying degrees of difficulty courses, I assume. And niceness, I've heard as well. I shot 80 the first day. Came off, by the way, 36 out yes, of the gates, birdie came, on the first hole. Came he off, didn't tell up. me that. Came off the plane, and then the rest of the time, I was in the, the, my, on the last day, I shot 82 uh, with four bir- or three birdies, and I tripled the 18th hole for an 82. <sighs> oh, yeah. so you had two I, shots at breaking 80. Yeah, yeah, and, and I tripled it. Shoes. I had tripled it, yeah. <laughs> but at that point, I, I wasn't really... I didn't really know what my score was at that point. point. <laughs> it Lovely. was just a nice day. So, yeah. all good. All That's good. awesome. Well, welcome back. We're happy to have you. Thanks, man. The Toronto Maple Leafs had a weekend. They did. They lost to the Carolina almost Hurricanes. Almost as busy as McKee. Yeah, almost. 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 But, uh, you know, the some scaries when you look back at a loss, but also a lot of good things came out of it. They were a lot more positive about the loss on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Come back and go to Nashville and play 20 hours later, essentially. And really put up what I thought was one of their better defensive uh, games of the year. Mm-hmm. What was your takeaway? They only get two or four points, but pretty good weekend for the Leafs. Yeah, really good. I mean, we will have the conversation about everyone's reaction, both of ours included, to the Carolina game of you blow a lead late, but you're still walking away with mostly positive things to say. The Nashville game was just a clinical example of let's just keep this thing quiet. There was a moment in the yeah. third where Keefe was really giving it to Bunting, and you know who knows what he said there. But my read on it was, calm down. This game is a sleepy game, and we need it to be a sleepy game. So just keep it that way. Yeah. It's about kind of finding the right momentum. So yeah, Matthews continues to look great. Tavares pots a couple, which is important for him to to feel like he's contributing. You know, Marner and Matthews really turned it on lately. You don't want Tavares to feel like he's not pulling his weight that's too strong of a term but you you understand what i mean there uh so yeah i really liked it and uh we're gonna have a conversation about joe wall at some point today Mm because he looked really good which you like so yeah a a lot of good from a uh one in one weekend insane stat of the weekend there were two games of the weekend not 10 and austin matthews had 28 shot attempts absurd 28 (laughs) shot attempts 15 (laughs) shots on goal on saturday night that 15 shots on goal is the 
fourth highest individual shot total in a game ever in the NHL. <laughs> so pretty insane. The all time, by the way, is Ray Bork, who had nineteen I saw shots in a game. You know what? Really? We, were, we did our 19. thing. We did our thing last week of guys you would pay to see play, yeah. and I didn't include him because it's like I saw him, right? But I fake saw him. Sure. I saw Colorado yeah, him, you saw him and lift late. the cup at yeah. an Avs jersey, and then they're then they serenaded him in Boston yeah. for some reason, which will never not be weird. Uh, but yeah, that. That stat did make me rethink my answer for half a second. I want Bobby Orr, so I still think that's the better Bruin, but yeah. Ray Bork actually was the all-time leading shot total guy in the NHL pre-Ovechkin. He's number Nuts two all-time, so that guy got a ton of shots. But yes, Austin Matthews, 15 shots, and then last night, all over the Nashville Predators. I, I am so... We do a Leaf show. I am so encouraged. Yes. <laughs> you know, not trying to be a biased <laughs> homer here, but like... I was so excited to see Matthews play the way he did this weekend, you know, holding off guys, driving Mm -hmm. his legs wide, getting the puck to the net, firing it at all, you know, every chance he got. Uh, Exciting. I mean, if he's going to be that Leaf, it changes things for him. Don't, like, we've... There's been a lot of discourse all up and gone that the Leafs kind of suck, right? Everyone says the Leafs suck now ever since That's, they made all the, the trades. Yeah, before you left, that was the thing. There's was some there's bad some, numbers. There's some discourse, and, you know, the bottom half of the lineup's not looking the way that the Leafs wanted it to. But to me... The most encouraging thing by far is that Austin Matthews mm-hmm. is clearly Austin Matthews. It's like, yeah, like, oh, he's just good again. He's yeah. just elite. He's just a top five guy in the world again. It's like adding that to your team before the playoffs is what you want. Yeah. Like, he was breathtaking yesterday. Oh, my God. And like, I just, I haven't seen him look like that. I know he's been leading up to it, but yesterday was a culmination of, like, what has been really great progress for him. He looked awesome. I'm not, like, a take guy. Yeah. I actually don't like when people say to me on Twitter, like, bad take, take or whatever. It's like, and I don't do takes. I just, we talk, we do opinions. <laughs> I do have a bit of a take, though. I have mm. never been more confident than I am that, like, Austin Matthews, not not all injury from no, October no, to no, February. No, no, no. Part motivation. For sure. Like, I've, I've had that conversation with people all year long, and the pushback I always got is, what, you think he's not trying? It's like, well, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, buddy, we've seen guys not try. Yeah. Vince Carter in this market specifically. It looks a lot different than a guy just not being a 60-goal guy, but there's just the the little tentpole moments that he had to push him along and nudge him along all the way last year. They just weren't here. And honestly, if, if it's going to mean a better Austin Matthews heading into the playoffs, and I know it's ridiculous to think there was a better version than what we saw last year, yeah. it's the most important thing. And the moment that hammered home for me how he's looking now is not the goals that he scored, but it was one that he didn't. And there was a moment in that Nashville game yesterday, wide open top corner. And if I would have saw that exact play three weeks ago, i go, yep. That's what's happened this year. He's had good looks and he's missed them. Sometimes he scored, but more often than not, he's missed them. And I was genuinely floored that it didn't go in. And that just shows you how quickly a guy like that can effectively turn it on and just make you feel differently about him as a player. 100%. We do have a clip of Sheldon Keefe talking a little bit about Austin Matthews from Saturday. He's, man, he's right back to being one of the most dominant players in the league. Uh, Physically dominant hard on the puck, winning battles, making plays, getting to good spots. Uh, he's been terrific. Just all the things you want a hockey player to do, That's generally right. speaking. Very good. Very good with this <laughs> sign. So they got him rolling. And, you know, of the things that we were looking to see from the Leafs down the stretch, it's like, okay, you want to know that Matthews can be the guy who we, were, we talked about as one of the best players in the world last year. Mm-hmm. You also want to get your goaltending situation figured out. Yep. As you head into the postseason, sure. Samsonov didn't have a great last game, but it's kind of felt like he's the guy. 
Murray gives up four on Saturday night. How'd you feel about his showing? Did make some saves. He made some saves. It was a classic kind of Matt Murray game, I think, for a lot of this year where you go, yeah, that was fine. It's not enough to throw the guy overboard in terms of the conversation. But when you have a guy who's looked like Samsonov has looked for most of this year, it doesn't do anything to sway me on the way I've been thinking. You know, Murray has had moments, and we go back to it, the idea of stylistically, if it's a more wide-open game, Samson, I was probably better. If it's kind of more jam action around the crease, maybe Murray's your guy. But I don't think you can prognosticate what kind of game it's going to be, at right. least until you get into a series against the team. And I don't think that it will... I don't think that what I'm seeing out of Murray right now makes me think any differently about what I thought heading into the weekend. The last time we saw Samsonov, I know he wasn't great, but I still yeah. have more faith in him to be the guy. The one thing that stood out to me is that his coach this season has gone to bat for him time. every time he's needed to. And he's been bad. Even you think back to that game, I think it was against the Sabres. He gives up four, they lose, and he goes, he's actually really yes. good. Yeah. I know you guys think his numbers are bad. He's actually been mm-hmm. really good. That was the first game. Uh, well, actually, before we carry on on that, Sheldon Keefe talking about Matt Murray on Saturday night. Matt's been playing really well. You know, and he's under siege early in the hockey game there. Um, you know, so he, did, I thought he did a good job for us. But of course, it's it's difficult to win with any sort of regularity if you have to score more than four. So, you know, Matt's got to find a way to keep one or two of those out. That's just the bottom line. Stop giving up four. He's just like, stop giving up four. What this gave me flashbacks to was, I know uh, our our guy Sam McKee refused to, to to watch it, but the this is the behind-the-scenes Amazon series, and it was Sheldon Keefe talking to, I'm trying to remember, Steve, Steve Breer, the goaltending yeah. coach at the time, and he goes, well, this one was tipped, and this, I don't, okay, cool, just stop, pick one, I don't care, yeah. pick one of those, find a way to <laughs> stop it. And this is the thing, you can have so much faith and belief in a guy, and we've talked ad nauseum about the fact that Murray's going to be here next year on the team, and they know him, and going back to the Sioux, and all of that stuff, yeah. and the pedigree, but at a certain point in time, you do run out of trying to explain it away for a guy, and you just gotta go, you need to be better, you need to find a way, and Samsonov has been the guy who's found the way so much more often this season. And it's just with Murray. Yeah, there have been nights where he's got hung out to dry. There were a couple late ones that are really unfair to him. Totally. But that's not every game that he's given up for in this stretch. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think we, maybe there is a, there's a new solution in that potentially. Okay. <laughs> you liked Wall lot, eh, last night? I've liked him. Like, Same. I don't, Kipper was, ta- Kipper's been talking about this forever about having, he's like, oh, you know, they should give him a little bit of run maybe to get him ready. But, He's a young, athletic, big goalie. And mm. he just is solid. He's tall. Love solid. It. You know, he's just not flying around in there. Like, to me, he's obviously not the answer. But. Love it. If a guy goes down, I'd feel somewhat confident with him. Like, the it's idea... not like you're putting Michael Hutchinson or, you know. Right. Shalgren. Or Shalgren. Right. Like, this guy, to me, has some upside. Mike McKenna's always talking about him. That... I feel much differently about Wall than Shalgren. I love oh, yeah. that Big conversation. Because last year, we had people going, what about Shalgren? His numbers are good, his whatever. No. And I was like, I don't, no, I don't see it. What I love, when he makes the save on the 2 on 2 one you know, cross push in, uh, in, on Sunday night there. He comes across the net, but he does it with his chest back yes. and up. He's not flailing across on mm-hmm. his stomach. Like, he's still in a goaltending position mm-hmm. as he makes that push across the crease. And I was like, man, pretty darn good and pretty encouraging. You know, you look at this tandem. It's not at all out of question that Murray gets hurt 
or Samsonov gets hurt for that matter. Well, we, we had a lot of these conversations last week, and I feel like that was the thing that was left unsaid is like, oh, of course Matt Murray's going to be healthy for another month. Right. When has that ever happened? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's very possible one of those two have that. It's also possible, like, Murray can't give up four goals every game. You just can't. It's no. been six to seven, well, and eventually they'll say. I mean, since... January 1st, he has a 3.68 and an 8.85. So, yes, he can. <laughs> well, he literally he almost, can, like, he, he he, almost averages it, in he, fact. <laughs> if he does that for the next, he's getting, there's nine games left. I presume he's going to start four of them. Yep. If he does that four more times, yeah, you're right. He still goes in. He's still That's the backup. The there's but just not enough run road. Where I'm going with that is yeah. you can see a world where one of them's hurt or one of them is out and, and Wool's on the bench and someone sucks for a game mm-hmm. or a period and he's got to go in. I think there's a 10% chance you see him play some playoff hockey this year. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. This is the guy who has had just enough rope to prove he is a viable option yeah. if two or three things go wrong. Yeah. There's just not enough. I I honestly believe if this was, and of course this goes without saying, but it's if we were a game... 35 of the season. I think there's a world where Joe Wall, given what he's showing in this little spell of games, they'd say, mm, maybe we do need to mix them in. Maybe we do need to see what we have. I agree with that take. But there's just not Takes. enough time. Take. The take show today. There you go. But there's just not enough time. There's just not. And when our boy Mike McKenna says good things about a goalie, I always listen. I know. He perk up well, a little bit. Said, eh? Well, because there was a guy. I that trust anyone t- who loves Vasilevsky. There's, well, yeah, he knows. Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about a good take. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah but Dr. Philosophical always tweets at us a bunch of yeah. good questions and stuff. And he asked about Wall, and he said, McKenna said that Wall would already be a full-time in the NHL if he hadn't battled so many injuries. So yeah. he likes his pedigree. Like, what if I'm setting the over-under at one-and-a-half playoff games for Joseph Wall, what are you taking? I'm, t- Pri- I'm privately, taking I will... under because he's got – I don't want him to start any of them. Things have gone <laughs> off the rails if he's starting. Like, I think there's one very clear route to this where one of these guys gets hurt, mm-hmm. which is extremely possible, like you guys just mentioned. And then He's the backup, and the other guy struggles in the first two games. And yep. you're like, we got to win a game. We're throwing the kid in there. God, it's not at all out it's of the realm. Really, of not that far down the road. Here. <sighs> this is why it was so important. Why our show really was like, need a goalie, need a goalie, need a goalie. The one thing we may have gotten wrong, and I will say that I mm-hmm. got wrong, is they had a lot of faith in Wool, and they, I think they basically said, "Who's better than Joseph Wool?" And said, "We're Nobody. not sure yeah. that this guy is going to be better." So. Um, well, we actually do have a clip on Keith after we've talked it to death. Let's have Keith on Joe Wool if we can. Yeah, probably probably a perfect way again, you know, for Joe to enter the game. You know, a credit to to Nashville that came out that came out hard. They're forechecking well. They're on top of us there. Um, clearly, their game plan early on was to shoot the puck from everywhere. I think they even got you know they registered a shot from about three feet below the goal line. Uh, at one point, they're shooting from everywhere. They've got Joe engaged in the game and inflated the shot clock a little bit. But uh, I liked how our guys just stayed with it, recognizing it's a 60-minute game. And then, you know, once we got through their forecheck a little bit, I thought we didn't really look back from there at 5-on-5. Five five. He's very sensitive to miscounting of the shots against. He really against. is. Hates it. That's like the third time he's ventured it this season. <laughs> I know. That's his refs. That's me with the refs, but yeah. it's him with the shot clock there. In, in terms of what you get out of Wall, it's just he, and I like what Keith said there because, and not so much with Shalgren, and not that we think Wall is any of these guys or we wouldn't even be having a conversation about him, but so often what has happened with this Leafs team in the past is backup goalie comes in, be it Hutchinson or whoever, 
and he just can't hack it immediately. He gives up a goal on the first two, three shots he faces, yeah. and the team just gets deflated yeah. there. And with Joe Wall, it seemed to be the exact opposite. It was, oh, okay, we kind of stubbed our toe to start this game. They came out flying. It makes sense. It was a team who was sitting at home. You're playing early. It's a Sunday. And he held you in the game. He didn't win the game for you by any means. You, you We talk about how dominant pretty much every Leaf was in that game. Well, yeah. Nylander aside. But, the, but Wall held them in it and allowed them to win it. He didn't win it for them, but he made it possible for them to do so. So, yeah, with along that point is one I wanted to make. You know, they go into this game. It, there's 10 games left in playoffs. And I've said on this show that with 10 games left, I want to see them go with their playoff lineup. Mm-hmm. Like start to solidify what it's really going to look like. Suddenly, they, they go with 6D. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, it's Lilligren and Gustafson out. And suddenly... They look like a pretty good defensive team. Last night, uh, Sheldon did mention it in the post game, uh, was the lowest amount of slot shots they've given up this season. I think it was four slot shots all game. So Joe Wool has the opportunity to look good yeah. because of how well they defended. I thought they defended well because of the pairs, the structure that they they played in. You're right. It was a boring game. Nashville's not great offensively. Actually, okay, let me phrase that. They suck. Yep. Not, not a good offensive team. True. But they did a great job in that regard. Um, why don't we listen to Sheldon talk about, give his game overview, and then we'll go deeper on that. To score more with the chances that we had to extend our lead and make it a little more comfortable there, you leave them within striking distance, and that's why, you know, they have a chance to get a push there in the third. But, uh, you know, our penalty kill gave up more than I would have liked today in terms of chances. But a five-on-five five again here tonight, just defensively, I thought we were excellent. In fact, you know, it's four slot shots against that five-on-five. It's the lowest we've given up all season. So, you know, I'm not going to complain about that effort. He steal that from you? It's, I didn't know that Sam even clipped that. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Buddy, I'm so all over it. Job. Oh, I'm all over it. <laughs> you guys are just so lockstep. It is. Great. It's great. So, yeah, they, um, you know, they defended like gangbusters. Pairs were McCabe and Brody. <laughs> Riley and Shen, and that left Gio and Hall, I think. Is that yep, right? that's how it works. Your thoughts on the, the D? I think, you know, Luke Shen is a guy who could look pretty capable and good in a game against a Preds team where there's not a lot of high, high-end speed or skill. That's the, that is my, that's my one pushback to the D pair look great because guess what? They did look great. I really do like the idea of Riley being in maybe a slightly more sheltered pair where he's allowed to just go and push and do those things the only concern with that and hey if they win around and it's a lengthy playoff run kind of mission accomplished as is but how long can you ask mark giordano to do that not playing regular season hockey mm-hmm. but playing regular season hockey if that's how you're going to structure it of mccabe and brody or your shutdown pair and then maybe you use geo and hall as your kind of secondary shutdown pair and then it's riley and Shen, or should it be Riley and Lilligren at some point in time, you can kind of let them freestyle a little bit more. That's the only thing I would say to kind of pump the brakes a little, but I don't think they really need to be pumped because I really like those 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 groups together. Uh, we've seen, we tried the Riley Hall thing a million times. It's never worked. It's like those guys trade sticks when they're out there and they start <laughs> shooting with the wrong hand. It's, and they, bad. it's really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, so that just doesn't work. And then that kind of forces your hand. If you want to shut down Pair McCabe Brody, which I think we're all in agreement, we want we like yeah. then you got to put you got to put Riley with the guy who makes the most sense for the group not for him and that's going to be Shen or Lilligren or whoever it, it is interesting because Gio and Hall Gio ends up playing 2034 yeah. last night which you know that's probably more than you want to ask him Way to do more. um but McKay Brody and I you know kind of mentioned that initially 
They've only played, oh, okay, 32 minutes this weekend was their total. Sounds which, right. Yeah, so, you know, not bad time on ice at 5-on-5. Five five. They, uh, the Leafs outshot the opponent 50-17 to 17 when they were on the ice. They Their expected goals total was did, 90%. Did Matthews have all those shots? Or? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, like, they absolutely controlled the play. McCabe is up in the play now. He's involved. Like, Brody makes gives him that stability. I know everyone is better with Brody. But, boy... That's intriguing if you're looking to shut down Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, any yeah. of those top lines. I know, and I know we're talking about shutdown now, but the thing I like with McCabe is that he is finally, not finally, it's looked like this for a couple of games now, but he's clearly comfortable with the skill level around him. You look at the teams he's played on before this. He played on some bad Sabres teams, and he played on a genuinely putrid Blackhawks team. And there were just a few moments where he looked yeah. a little out of sync with guys, more so in the offensive zone, and that's all gone away. And he's just clearly more comfortable now. He's been making moves. He he had a little rush, mini breakaway against the Panthers, or not the Panthers, the, the Hurricanes on the weekend there. Really, really like what you're seeing out of him. And yeah, Brody just makes everybody makes everybody's job easier. Here is, uh, oh, do we have Luke Fox now? Oh, you do. Hello, Luke. Ooh. How are you, pal? I'm I'm doing okay. How are you guys? We're doing great. We're just talking about the world's best D pair that is Brody and McCabe. Um, I mean, off to a unbelievable start, I guess, to their uh, sort of relationship. I don't know if that's going to be a pair that sticks around. Do you think that will be something that the the Leafs keep heading into the first round against Tampa Bay? I tend to think so, just yeah. because that was the first option. Sheldon Keith went for once he acquired once they acquired Jake McCabe and TJ Brody. I think part of it's because TJ Brody is the easiest guy to play with. So hey, let's put the new guy with Brody because it'll ease him into you know his game. He's the safest guy to play with. Uh, Sheldon Keith said that he really wants a shutdown pair, kind of mimicking what Jake Muzzin used to be a part of, and he sees Jake McCabe as the best uh, Muzzin replacement. So I think they'll do that. But, I mean, just judging by uh, Keith's, uh, uh, you know, knack for, for wanting to tinker and try different things and the fact that Brody's kind of the fixer, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some Riley Brody as well. But I, th- I think he would like to see a, a pure shutdown pair go against Tampa's top line. So you you mentioned the Riley Brody thing there. That's the that's the issue they keep bumping up against when they try to make their pairs. Everybody is better with Brody, so it's not yep. it's not lost on anybody that of course Riley is going to be. But he feels like kind of the only guy in the top four that Riley can fit with because you know Riley Hall. We've seen that it does not work. Riley McCabe. I don't know that we've got a, a long spell of it, but I don't know that you necessarily you know want want uh, McCabe playing on his you know offside there. What do you think they end up doing with Riley? I mean, you said they're going to try it with Brody, but if you want to have a shutdown pair i don't think you can have riley and brody together and it just that seems to continue to be the issue every time you try to put d pairs together with this team yeah it's funny it's it's like individually there's so many great assets with this decor and the and the defense has taken a large step this year and, and then you bring in all these new guys three new guys um and they all have good attributes but the mix doesn't seem right it, it's that it seems like uh unnatural and and i so i understand why there's all this tinkering and i wonder if you know the road approach might be different than the home approach and having last change and if that dictates 
things a little bit for Sheldon Keefe, not just for the D pairs, but for the for the forward lines too. Like I was thinking, like you know how how he's when Ryan O'Reilly gets back, are they going to use him as a, a more stacked second line and push Tavares to the wing and do that at at home when they can control things and maybe on the road when they can't control things, do they have you know they spread it out a little bit and have Riley O'Reilly as as a as a third line center. Um, so I, I wonder how the home and road and how last change and the chess match that he's going to engage with John Cooper um, affects uh, his lineup. And I think what we're seeing right now is he wants flexibility. Like whatever we see in game one uh, is probably not what we're going to see in game three. And uh, I think we're going to see a lot of, of movement unless there's, you know, resounding success out of the gate. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Just you mentioning O'Reilly there. I know he was on the road with the team. He was skating. Do we have any insight on when he can potentially get back in the lineup or when that's looking like? Because to me, it feels like the team's on a bit of a treadmill until then. You can't really set your forward lines until you know what's going on with him. Do we have any update on on his status? No, not, not, nothing more clear than the fact that I think it's a good sign that he went on the road trip. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the team, after a back-to-back, took a full day off today they're back practicing tomorrow uh he hasn't been ruled out for wednesday against florida um i I think that would be you know best case scenario but you know this is a team that basically has uh home ice advantage locked up you know i was looking at the the 98.5 percent chance of locking up home ice so if you think there was nothing left to play for um, a week ago or two weeks ago, there's really not much left left to play for. So I, health is going to be the absolute priority. Um, but with that in mind, I do think they want to, or Sheldon Keefe wants to get things up and running and starting to drill down on his lines as fast as possible. And in order to do that, he needs O'Reilly in the lineup. I mean, the very fact that they were toying so much with 11 and 7, set, he said was uh, largely due to the fact that O'Reilly wasn't there. Um, because all of a sudden then you have a forward that's going to eat up a bunch of minutes. So if he's good to go, I'm I'm sure he'll play Wednesday. If not, maybe Saturday. Um, But I would expect it to be within a week. Wow, that's uh, interesting that it'll be that soon, and uh, I think a good sign for O'Reilly, too, in terms of being playoff ready. God, I hate the idea of games where the goals just don't get injured. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter what you do, just don't get hurt. Um, Looking at that uh, top line spot, like Michael Bunting has been with Matthews and Marner a lot in the past. We've seen him uh, be a top six guy basically the whole time. Plays on the third line last game. Callie Yarncroft has got a lot of run here with Matthews and Marner. And boy, I don't know, it looks pretty darn good to me. Do you see see Bunting getting his old spot back? Uh, you know, a week ago, I probably would have said yes, but yeah. now I'm, I'm a little conflicted <laughs> I and, know. And, like good on, good on Cali, right. Yeah. For for making this a difficult decision, uh, for Sheldon Keefe. I, like personally, I think Alexander Kerfoot is better suited to the bottom six than the top six. Yeah. So, you know, maybe Bunting gets up on the, on the second line and maybe not all the way to the top with Matthews. Um, you know, that was one of the best lines in hockey all of last season. So, I'm sure we'll see him there at some point, but Yarncroft is, is making that uh, a, a difficult choice. And what was really interesting to me was um, after the game in Ottawa, Matt Murray's uh, return against the Senators, and we were asking Sheldon Keefe about Yarncroft and how he's fitting on that line. And the fact that he mentioned that Matthews went to him and, and said, I like having Yarncroft 
on my line. I, I think that that was really interesting. Now, at that point, it was a choice between Kerfoot and Yarncroc. Not, you know, he's not right. uh, dis- dissing his buddy uh, Big Mike there. But uh, Cali can finish and he can shoot. And he almost got, scored a nice goal. Um, last night, we're not for, for a great save. Um, but uh, yeah, good, good on him for, for heating up at the right time and, and kind of uh, establishing himself in the top six now. And it, you know, what was really interesting is um, not when the Leafs were just in Nashville, but when the Predators came to visit, we were, we were talking to Philip Forsberg, um, who had played with him with the Predators and said, you know what, he needs to play with good players. And you, he can't drive his own line. He's, he was incapable of scoring a lot when he was stuffed down on the third line. But he's a great complement to really good players. So um, maybe Sheldon stumbled onto something here. That was the problem in Nashville. Just Philip Forsberg was the only other dynamic yeah. forward. And they're going, what are we doing? we got to get another guy for him to play with. Yeah, the, the shooting aspect obviously makes a ton of sense there. We give Marner a ton of love, rightfully so, for being you know one of the best passers in the league. His vision, his patience, all of that stuff. Matthews is a really capable passer and honestly sometimes a little too willing of a, of a passer at times. So I do think that's a, that's a nice fit there. Uh, you mentioned Kerfoot. We, we joke. We all have said literally all the jokes about him, but... Uh, is he finding something here? That was a Ovechkin-esque snipe from him off the wing. I don't know what's going on. Uh, it does seem to me like he's a guy who we're going to constantly be down on or because of the contract. But at the end of the day, he, you know, he does continue to be a, I won't say crucial because he's not, but an important cog for this team. Like he's going to be on a third line that matters. It feels like I don't think you're going to see him on the fourth line there. It, it's funny what a whipping boy he is. And again, I'm, I'm not going to say it's wrong to, to treat him thusly, but it, he does seem to continue to find his way to have a role on this team night in night out no for sure he does and the coach absolutely loves him he loves the fact that he can move him around wherever and and plug him in and he doesn't complain and he's you know just puts his work boots on and he's responsible defensively and all those things of course you you know i get it fans want to see way more finish from him and his shooting percentage is uh, you know, historically low when, when you look over his career. He's just having a, a brutal year, and it, maybe it's starting to turn. He gets a couple of goals on, on the most recent road trip, so that, that's a positive sign. But the other thing is he's really beloved in the room, and he's kind of part of – he doesn't wear a letter, but he's part of the kind of extended leadership core there. Um, you know, he, he's one of the guys, right? And I, I think that's important. Like, he, he's – in the conversations of, of, of what they should do. And he's, he's a team player. He's team first guy, defensively responsible. You just hope it, it, this is uh, the start of something. The, fuck, the fact that, you know, the puck's going in for him a little bit now. Luke, we're 30 minutes into the show and it's been all positivity. So here we go. Uh, <laughs> William Nylander, okay? Yeah, it's been a little lull, right? <laughs> yeah. um, Not quite the uh, same guy we saw a couple months ago. Yeah, and, and and you know what? It, basically, this has been his best season. Like oh, he, yeah. he the, the, there was a case where, you know, the first half of the season where you're debating who's been the ba- Maple Leafs' best forward. Is it Marner or Neiland? Mm-hmm. And and you know, Matthews, Matthews, and Tavares are kind of a, a little step behind. Willie's been that dominant. Uh, I I can't help but think it's it's part of it has to do with motivation, right? Like, it's got to be hard. It's so promising, the fact that Matthews is picking up the slack and looking like a, a beast again. Because how are you getting motivated for these games? Like I mentioned, there's literally nothing to play for except stay healthy and keep your game sharp. 
Um, so hopefully, you know, we got a, what, 10, 11 games left or so, and, and hopefully he can wake up and get it going. Because I, I saw, I don't know if you guys saw Patrick Kane talk. I think it was after last night's game or the night before. But, you know, th- there's a guy that, that's, you know, gone all the way three times. But he's also been eliminated in the first round before. Like, he's seen it all. He's been to, through tons of postseasons. And he was talking about the Rangers situation and saying, basically, there's no such thing as flipping a switch. You, you think you can do it, but you can't. You have to go into the playoffs feeling good about your game and in a groove, and that's important. He's like, yes, we got to stay healthy and rested and all those things, but we also have to stay on our, on our toes, like have our game in shape for when the puck drops in, in game 83. And you, you want to think for Nylander's sake, for the Leafs' sake, that he gets, starts to get rolling and, and get feeling good. Um, you know, Tavares gets the points on, on the power play, but five on five, that second line has been just a little bit off. And maybe it's as simple as uh, Ryan O'Reilly coming back healthy and everything falling into place and, and things getting going again. But you have to think, especially for a guy like Nylander, motivation has got to be tricky when the standings don't mean a whole heck of a lot right now. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little the other way, not disagreeing with anything you're saying. I'm just going to say this has come at the perfect time. There's still enough time for him to round himself into form. William Nylander was not going to go 82 games and then hopefully a nice long playoff run without ever needing a, a little adjustment. So I think this is the perfect time uh, for, for it to happen. Uh, Joe Wall, uh, he wasn't perfect, but he was pretty damn good uh, against the Predators. I don't think there's enough time left in this season. I don't think there's enough pedigree or you know track record at the NHL level for them to seriously be looking at him but you know maybe as soon as next year all of a sudden is this a guy who should really be factoring into the least goaltending picture i think next year for sure he like that this is ramping up for him to to challenge for a spot and whether that means uh, a trade or, or or something else but uh i think he's proven enough at the ahl level that he and and in his short stints at the nhl level that this is a guy you want on your books. And, and part of it, most of it is his play. But secondarily, his price point. He's making $766,000 for next season and the season following Ooh, that. And, and really? Team, oh, he's on the team. Really, <laughs> really, really tidy bit of business um, last offseason by Kyle Dubas, you know, for, for locking him up when his stock was low and he'd been through some injuries and his AHL numbers weren't that great last season. So for him to, to, and, and if you're, if you're the athlete, how do you not sign that, that guaranteed money? Yeah. yeah. Um, when you haven't, you haven't really proven much, but um, you know, it, this is, this, this could finally be it. Like, uh, you know, you don't want to count your chickens before they're hatched, but this could be finally it. Like how long have Maple Leafs fans been waiting for a homegrown goalie? Uh, he look he looks really solid. The only goalies, goals he let in last night were off deflections. He stood tall. He's big. Uh, he's calm. Uh, he, he's an awesome kid too. Like if you ever get a chance to talk to him, he's 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 just he's got the the right mindset for this sport. He's really appreciative, really dedicated to his craft. Still young. Goalies peak a, a little bit later, so he's 24. Like uh, he could be a steal, especially for a team desperate. Uh, for guys that o- overachieve uh, based on their cap hit. So that's, it's an interesting spot because it's kind of like Murray and Samsonov, 
it's so unsettled on the year. Like, who's going to be the starter? Who's going to be here next year? Like, it really comes yeah. down to who takes us home here, boys. Mm-hmm. Like, who who has a good first round series? Who gets the starts? It's also undecided. And now, part of that is going to be who can get you through a playoff round. That obviously is the ultimate question here now. And that depends on how Tampa Bay plays, too. Do you have any thoughts about what's going on in Tampa? If you scroll to the far right part of the standings, they've got an L4 uh, in their street category. They've <laughs> lost four in a row. They are not doing what Patrick Kane said and going in hot. What's going on yeah. in Tampa? Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Yeah. And, I, and I, I, again, I think it's it's one of those things where what's the incentive? But the, but you're playing right. with fire. But you're playing with fire, right? Because like you can't. I I agree with Kane. Like I don't think you can just flip a switch. I mean, if any team could flip a switch, it might be the Tampa Bay Lightning. But I don't think you can just flip it like that. I think you have to go in feeling good and confident. The one thing for the Lightning, they they really don't care if they have home ice. No, uh, you know they. they they did not have home ice in any of their rounds last season. Ended up winning three. Uh, almost, you know, came within two wins of of going for the three feet. Like they're kind of a, a ridiculously confident and, and talented group that that doesn't mind starting on the road. But I do think there's a danger in them not getting their game rounded into form here. Uh, and it's it's good news for for the Maple Leafs because for one of the Leafs haven't gone on one of those crazy heaters where they won like seven or eight in a row, but their losing skids are like one game, two games max. Um, ever since October, um, when things were falling apart, it feels like a lifetime ago when things were fall- falling apart on that California road trip, they haven't lost three in a row. Like they've, they've gotten really good about, you know, washing away the, the off nights. Like that, they'll throw the they'll throw a stinker um, pretty good, but they they don't let it linger, right? Like they they respond really well. Whereas things are festering a little bit now in Tampa. All right, Luke. Well, thank you so much for your time today, man. We really appreciate it. Oh yeah, any anytime. And Justin, I picked up your book, started reading it. Fun fact: Yes, I was born twelve twelve at twelve twelve p.m. No, wow. Yeah, are you kidding yeah. me? I'm not kidding you. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely well. Yeah, I also born at 1212 on 1212. Look at me and Luke. Yeah. A couple of crazy. dirty dozens here. There you go. Out of way, fella. Well, thank you for purchasing the book. I appreciate the support, man. Uh, all right. All right. Have a good one. Uh, Luke Fox, Leafs beat writer, anal- NHL analyst for Sportsnet.ca. Good stuff. Curveball at the end. Yeah, did not see that coming. Thought I was the only person on earth born on December. No, I didn't. But still, that is fascinating. The exact hour and minute and all that. So... The the stuff about, you know, Wool and his salary really feels like they're going to keep, Leafs will keep one of Samsonov and Murray and Wool will be the other guy. 100%. And I mean, the easy thing to say just based on the way contracts are set up already is that, that they hope that's Murray. And this is the whole conversation we've had all year long is that if you think Wall is a guy who can be your 1B or your backup who eventually turns into your starter or whatever it is, then you already have a guy under contract and just, and I'm not talking about Matt Murray's play as of late, but just the way you set it up, mm, yeah. starting goalie at four five and your backup who can push him at seven fifty, That's perfect. You're it laughing. Is. The fact that Samson is an RFA does kind of complicate things, but I think the, and again, this is all going to be predicated on what happens in the playoffs. If Ilya Samsonov goes on some great run, 
I mean, I suppose they could still trade him because they're not going to be able to pay him, but the it's just going to be, they're going to be able to flip him much easier than they would be Matt Murray or just completely walk away from him, whereas Murray, given the cap and everything, mm-hmm. is going to be here. But yeah, Wall at 750, I'll take, I will take that right now. And this isn't about wanting to jettison one of those guys. Well, I mean, I would if I could with Matt Murray, but he's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. But 750, it's great. It is interesting because, yeah, like if you trade Samsonov and keep Murray, you gain another asset. Samsonov will have value in a trade if you trade murray to keep samson you're off, giving it's, up your cost it's yeah. costing you an asset so you better be sure samson is the better guy oh what can't they just do the peter morazic thing and just trade back the three or four draft slots <laughs> is now all that cost them to uh, that's get right Mrazic? that did help i don't think that'll happen again. no very unlikely all right that was luke fox uh when we come back we'll speak with mike kelly a hockey analyst specializing in analytics the nhl network and sport logic we'll talk to you in a moment Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. All right, welcome back to Real Kipper and Born featuring Brent Gunning. Um, we are now joined by my man Mike Kelly, hockey analyst specializing in analytics with the NHL Network. Mike, how are you doing today, pal? What is happening? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We just uh, have been having positive Leafs conversations less than a month from playoffs. How do you feel about us doing that? <laughs> That's the time to do it, isn't it? Yeah, it's ideal. Oh, it's just, on. you know, That's we're mean. supposed to be full of fear and negativity, but... Are you going to be able to do it in five weeks? Oh, That's well, we sure hope so. <laughs> Are you skeptical that we'll be able to do it in five weeks? I'm not. Um, you like them. Borny, I've, I've been wrong about a lot of things in my life, and I'll be wrong about a lot more things before this day is over. But I have publicly picked the Maple Leafs playoff fortunes correctly six years in a row. Oh, boy. And mm. I will be making another pick this year, and I anticipate I'll be correct again. But um, you're not ready I'm not to saying I'm it. picking them to lose. <laughs> I'm not saying right. I'm picking them to lose. I'm just saying, <laughs> given the work that we do in the country I live in and the market that Toronto is, I spend an inordinate amount of time, you know, looking at that team. Um, and I've been right in the past, so okay, we'll see how it goes in a couple of weeks. There's still some hockey to be played. All right. Well, I, uh, I'm not going to ask you about them then because I want to know about their opponent a little bit and what you think of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Here's what I love about you, Mike. You're not just a numbers guy. You know hockey. This Tampa Bay Lightning team has been around and had success and veteran experience and all that stuff. Uh, first off, do they look okay by the numbers, and do you believe it's going to matter come playoff time anyway? Uh, you see, that's a great point. And, um, you know, Colorado kind of – limped into the playoffs last year. They lost uh, six of seven, seven of eight, something like that going in. Steamrolled everybody. Right. It's not necessarily the be-all, end-all that you need to be hot going in. And, and there's still time. Tampa could end up being that. But, yeah, it's it's been troubling to a point now where a month ago I probably would have said all things being equal with those two teams being so similar at giving edge to Tampa Bay. If that edge still exists, it's fading quickly. And you know, Toronto's playing some good hockey, but the, the Lightning – they're still getting it from their big guys. Hedman's a monster, and Point is, you know, he might score 50 goals this year, and Kucherov's doing his thing, Stamkos is great. The depth forwards and their decor overall is not what it's been in years past. It is, it's the 
the least, it's the worst it's been of the four iterations we're talking about, the three teams that went to the cup final and this one. And, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to Julian Breesbaugh and his group for, for doing everything they can to keep this team as good as it is year over year and competing for Stanley Cups. That's almost impossible to do in a salary cap league, a hard cap league like the NHL. So it's just a reality. And uh, that that's where, you know, they're, the goaltending, it's, it's been a bit down lately, but I don't, you can't even worry about that with Vasilevsky. His track record in the playoffs and overall is too good. Um, but I do worry about this team in terms of their decor overall and their, their um, bottom of their lineup. So when you, when you look at the Lightning's kind of recipe, what they've done is they've had those big studs, but then they've gone out and they've kind of you know brought in really important pieces like that. A guy like Nick Paul, a guy like Brandon Hagel. This year's version of it was Tanner Janot. And you know, I will count myself among the many here in Toronto who were terrified to criticize that move at the time. <laughs> it has been 15 games. He is a dash six and has three points. Uh, did they pick the wrong guy this year to go all in on, on their RFA strategy? It remains to be seen, but it's a totally fair question at this point. Um, I said this when they got him at the deadline, and I kind of stand by it. It almost doesn't matter to me in a way what he does offensively in terms of goals and assists and points. And obviously you want him to get them, of course, but everything in that sense was down from last year where he had this monster shooting percentage year, and we all knew that would be unsustainable to a point. But it's it's gone the other way now where it's unsustainably low. Um, but... I think the reasons that they got him are you look at his puck recoveries, his forechecking, you know, first guy in on a dump in, disruptive play in the offensive zone. All that stuff is where it was last year. And if that's why they got him, if that's why they said, you know, look, this guy can do all that stuff for us to help us tee up his line mates, keep pucks in the O zone, maybe force a team to defend for 40 seconds so they have to change and they can't attack us. He's good in those areas still. Um, at some point, yeah, you, you probably need a bit of offense, and you're hoping that that happens. But um, he's still the disruptive player he has been. It just doesn't have the points to show for it. Yeah, you can see why he thought they fit the mold of their Goodrows and uh, Coleman's and Gord's yep. and all those type of guys. But, yeah, hasn't panned out yet. Will be, uh, will be interesting to see how that goes. So along that lines of having depth, you know, here in Canada, we're looking at teams that can go deep. The Oilers are the other team that gets a, a lot of attention for that. And I look at them and I go, holy smokes, like Hyman's legit, career year R&H, Evander Kane can do things, they get Ekholm. And I am, I just, I think they're so good. And I, they just can't seem to climb up the standings. You know, they're, they're now seven points behind Vegas for the division. They're probably going to finish in third in the Pacific. But they feel like a team to me that could win some rounds, go deep, have a real shot at this thing. Are you bearish, bullish? How do you feel about the Oilers? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a believer, but, you know, <laughs> a team that I love is the L.A. Kings. Really? And the, I love the Kings. Uh, I said it at the deadline when they got Corpus Allo and, and Gavrikov. I'm like, this could be the team that, to come out of the West. And since then, they've got the best points percentage in the league. They give up nothing. Like, they're so good defensively, and now they've got a goalie. So, and they can score. I mean, heck, we saw that last night. But uh, if the Oilers play the Kings in the first round, which may very well happen, one of them's gone. And it's either the best offensive team in the league or one of the best defensive teams in the league. Yeah. So, it's hard for me to say, yeah, I think either one of them's going to go far. They're going to have to play each other probably, and one of them's going to be out. Well, that's, um, that's so unfortunate. We don't know anything about that here, Mike. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> the best part is, say Toronto wins this year, you probably get Boston the next round. 
which might be the best team of all time in the regular season. So it's cool, 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 cool. Uh, yeah. Anyways, anyways, um, look, I think Edmonton can go for sure. It's it's defense slash goaltending and more goaltending to me that is uh, the thing to worry about. Like they're, you know, they're the middle of the pack and expected goals against that's team defense. That's fine. And you can win with that. Uh, the goaltending has, if the goaltending could just be there, mm-hmm. I think they'd be a legit contender, but it's been less than that. And Skinner's, you know, better than Campbell. We get that, but um, they still have to score a lot to win a lot. Um, and that's where I wonder if, uh, maybe, I don't know if the Kings would be the team, um, but if the team gets in there and, and can kind of, you know, beat that goaltender enough times, Edmonton's just going to have to score four, five, six goals to win games. Yeah, the the scary part is that that might not be all that hard for him to do, depending on uh, on who's. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter who's in net on the other side of things. That's the terrifying thing about the Oilers in a playoff series is just can you keep Connor and Leon quiet for four games in seven? And probably not is going to be the answer to that. So you are going to have to run it up. You know, I want to ask you about Darnell Nurse. You know, he's a guy who I think of a lot of times, kind of in a comparison to Morgan Riley. Not that they're the same player, but in a guy in a Canadian market who it's hey, here's our number one defenseman. Are we sure he's a number one defenseman? Where are you at on Darnell Nurse and what he's given the Oilers this year? Yeah, I, I like the comparison just in the sense of kind of what they're asked to do. I think in years past, Riley had had to kind of do a lot of everything, be the real number one guy, but also the offensive guy. And um, now they've got, you know, guys in there like McCabe and, and Giordano and Brody over the years. Um where Nurse, I think, gets a bit of that from Ekholm being there, and that's like the great ripple effect um, of having Ekholm there. Is not number one, he comes in and he plays really well, and he's a good puck mover and a good defender and all those things. Bouchard's been better playing with him as a result, and Nurse has been able to kind of scale down his minutes a little bit and not have to eat as much of everything. That makes him a better player. So, um, you know, you kind of get three benefits out of one. Um, acquisition in Ekholm, which I think is great for Edmonton. And like I said, they, they defend well enough for a team that scores as much as they do. It's, um, it's more on the goaltending side, I think, than having an issue defensively in terms of the team. All right, so we had you weigh in on, you know, our interesting Canadian teams and the first-round opponent for the Leafs. Um, I wanted to look a little bit at the playoff races, uh, specifically the wild-card races. In the East right now, Florida sits three points behind the Pittsburgh Penguins, four points behind the New York Islanders. It's down to those three teams who get in. Is there one team who you either really like or really dislike out of those three teams? Uh, sorry, Florida, say it again. Florida, there's Florida, Pittsburgh, and the Islanders. Uh, do yeah, any of them yeah. stand out as great or awful? Yeah, I kind of don't like any of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone's okay. limping around trying to get into the playoffs, right? Like, no one's yeah. taking the ball and running with it. So, um, every time I think Florida, because they're so good offensively, every time I think, you know, hey, they're, they're winning some games, they're scoring, and everything's going again, they just take a step back, too. So, um, I, I think Florida... Like, below Florida is out at this point. I know yeah. Buffalo's kind of hanging around. I think they're all out. And, you know, in the West, I think the eight is set. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh annoys me. Florida disappoints <laughs> me. And the Islanders kind of bore me. And I've, I've been anti-boring Islanders narrative forever. Yeah. When they went to those conference finals, they score. They play a great brand of hockey, a winning brand. I defended them. Um it's hard. It's hard now. So, you know, they're still, they're still winning and they got Barzell coming and uh, uh, Pittsburgh's the one that disappoints me just because I see them playing their best hockey. Everyone's connected, right? That old cliche five guys, every zone, like they they just, they know how to do it. And so often they can't. 
Um, and when they're playing their best, like I still think like, hey, they can win rounds. They're yeah. really good, but it just very rarely happens. It's funny when I look at like the sport logic um, graphic you guys have in the, one of your back pages talking about expected goals for and expected goals against like Pittsburgh and Florida score a ton. Don't particularly defend the Islanders kind of do everything. Okay. Not that interesting. Two teams really stand out to me though. Um, You mentioned LA as a, basically the best defensive team in the league by expected goals against the New Jersey devils are the best offensive team in the NHL by expected goals for do you think they can make some way or headway in the playoffs? To me, they seem like a young team that, you know, run and gun hasn't worked in the playoffs, but boy, they sure create offense, don't they? Yeah, they for sure do. Um, and that's, you know, I talked to a lot of hockey people when I'm down at the network uh, that played in the league and, and or any you played a high level too, and, and no tons of hockey people. And the thing with the Devils all year, I've gotten it all year as I pumped their tires from day one is, well, young guys. And when push comes to shove and it gets hard Smaller. And, and you don't know. Yeah. You, yeah. Small, you don't know. Right. Like there's no way to know other than you can certainly cite examples where that's been the case for sure. There's a million examples where teams have had to kind of get punched in the face a couple of times in the playoffs before they win. Happened to Tampa happens to a lot of teams. And this is New Jersey. Like they were a terrible team last year. Um, so to expect them, to go on some massive run would be a lot. Either way, it's going to be a great learning experience for the group as they go forward as a good, young, elite team. But like you said, I mean, they're not one-dimensional in how they create offense. Yeah, they're uh, you know top five in goals and expected goals and number one in chances off the rush. But they're, they, they can forecheck and, and they can work the puck in the O-zone. And they're really good defensively. And that's that, to me, matters in the playoffs. So... Uh, yeah, that's the thing though. They're probably going to get the Rangers and one of two great teams is going to be gone. So it could be the devils. It's why it's so hard to take first round losers and, and say necessarily, Oh yeah, there needs to be changes for next year. Cause we didn't win a playoff round. The, the There's point- a lot of teams that are going to lose in the first round this year that in any other year could win a Stanley cup. Right. Yeah, the point I always make with that is just look no further this year than Florida and Calgary. Those were two teams that, and I know there were yeah. extenuating circumstances for both of them to a certain extent, but they said, you know what, we got to reset. We got to blow it up. And it's worked out not well for, for either of them. I know Florida might might sneak in here, I understand, and Calgary same. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's just a, that that's going to be the kind of uh, careful what you wish for uh, thing that I think will hang over a lot of teams this this summer. Uh, you, you mentioned the Devils there, obviously the team at the top of the division in the Metro, still, still Carolina. They they suffered the huge injuries. Pacioretty and Svechnikov. It was a team that generated a lot of shots, but they struggled with having dynamic talent. Uh, how do you expect the loss of Svechnikov? I mean, I don't think it hurts them in a series against whoever gets in for that wild card spot, but when they got to go through either the Devils or the Rangers, I, I do think that'll be a problem for them. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think it's their, it's their most dynamic offensive player. Like, I, I think Ajo's their best forward. Um, but Sveshnikov's their most like kind of game breaker type offensive player. It's a huge loss. And you know, the good thing for Carolina is they kind of get it done by committee a lot. They've got the stall line, which is a great matchup shutdown type line. Uh, and they just have a lot of really good players, Ajo and Natchez. And uh, you go up and down. There's a lot of guys that play really well. Their decor is, is just stack. Um, and, you know, they, they still win with, with defense a lot. They're first in expected goals, second in goals against. Um, so that's always going to keep you competitive, and, you know, Freddie can you know, be a good enough goalie for them. 
So that's that's good, but that's where I, I'm with you, where I think I'd be shocked if this team ends up in a Stanley Cup final this year. Um, I'd be surprised even if they get to a conference final. And I've always liked Carolina, but I've never had them as, you know, oh, I think they they got a good shot to win the Cup this year. I just, you know, the way they play, it's it's they shoot more than anyone. They have the puck less than anyone. And you might think the two automatically go together. They, they actually don't quite often. And that's an extreme example. Uh, but their game is, is predicated on skating and dump it in, dump it out, go get it, battle. Um, it's a hard game to play. It's a Rod Brindamore-style game to play. It's very, very effective, as we know. But as we talk about not being one-dimensional and like just a Florida Rush-type team in the playoffs, um, there's the other side of it, too, where like Carolina doesn't really generate anything off the Russian with speed and transition. That's shocking. Um, See, 32nd in puck possession, aren't they? Yep. Like that's stunning to me. Really is for a yeah. Canes team that you know wouldn't think of them as a upper tier team, but right. not dead last. <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely yeah. bizarre. Yeah, well, like I go back to what Barry Trotz said one time, where he talked about playing a puck possession game by giving the puck up, and you have to do that in the playoffs. That's something Tampa Bay learned after the Columbus series and took forward, where you can't skate through everybody all the time, mm-hmm. and. If you're putting pucks in places where you know you've got not only maybe a winger that can get there first or a 50-50 battle at the very least, you're still playing a puck possession game by giving the puck up. Carolina does that quite a bit. Um, the Islanders did it when they were successful with, with Barry Trotz. There, there can be a winning formula that way. Um, but it's another one of those things where there's, there's teams that can be way too rush-heavy and one-dimensional in certain ways. There's other teams that can... You do it differently, but also maybe not have enough dimensions. I, yeah. do, I just wonder that about Carolina. All right. Well, last one before we let you go. Appreciate all this insight around the NHL. Uh, the one thing we talked about last week is the Leafs numbers since the deadline have been bad. You know, they have not looked <laughs> like the same team uh, by the numbers. I, I imagine things came around this past weekend. They've looked better. Um do you see do you, do you see that after turmoil? Does it make you worried for the Leafs, or is this one of those things that maybe maybe just too soon on the chemistry front to to jump the gun here? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, they definitely struggled coming kind of out of the deadline for a while, and I think you look at all the D pairs they used. I mean, I think they're up to like fourteen different pairings over ten minutes since the deadline, something like that. Yeah. It's right near the top of the league, and there was an evaluation process clearly happening with Sheldon Keith and, and the coaching staff, which I think is great. Like you have to do that. But number one, see what you got and who works with who. But number two, knowing that in the playoffs, you're not going to be going 12 and six, same group every night. If you need to switch one guy down, move one guy up, you want to know that, okay, well he's played with him and they've yeah. played with that guy and they'll have that luxury now because they've done so much of it. Um, like, I don't know what you guys think, but it kind of looks like, McCabe, Brody, Giordano, Hall are pairings to be had for game one, maybe, right? Yep, that sounds about right. So then that leaves you with Riley and Gustafson, (laughs) Shen, Lilligren. You're trying to figure that one out. Like, Riley was, is, was the number one defenseman. um, And they're trying to figure out, I guess, who's going to be beside him. And there's no chance it's going to be the same six guys every game, but what works best, when, how, why, ozone, D zone, yeah. bottom guys, top guys, all of that. So I give them a, a, a pass for some of it, the, the play because of the evaluation process, but we are starting to come out of it now. And like, I, I think that game against Carolina, you play that game Ooh. against Tampa Bay every night, you're not going seven and you're winning. Yeah. Um, so that 
No, and they played well enough against Nashville too, right? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, the, it's interesting because they have been able to go, you know, Riley Labushkin and play Riley 22 and Labushkin 13. You know, like mm-hmm. they have been able to find ways to do that with ice time allocation. Uh, so, well, we'll see if they're able to work it out. Um, yeah, yeah it's I, sorry, Mike, to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, it's going to be fun. And uh, I was thinking about this earlier today. Like, I, I really do like the way Toronto's playing. And uh, as you, as I mentioned before, I'm obviously uh, 0 for 6 and picking them to win a playoff series. So it would take something for me to get to that point. But, um, you know, they're going to start probably at home. Like, there's no pressure on Tampa, which is crazy to think. They've been to a cup final three years in a row, yeah. starting on the road. They probably prefer that. But, man, if the playoffs started right now, I'd like the way Toronto's playing and like the way things are sitting. Ugh, scary. Okay. Terrifying. <laughs> but terrifying. Know, like, you don't even want to hear that, right? No. Like, uh, don't don't, don't even. That just expectations. I want <laughs> those wild underdogs. Uh, well, thank yeah. you very much for your time, Mike. It's always such a treat to have you on. Appreciate it, bud. Hey, anytime. And I uh, always love listening to you guys. So keep it up. Thanks so much. Mike Kelly, hockey analyst for the NHL Network and Sport Logic. Telling us that the Leafs are kind of okay, and I think he'd pick them against Tampa Bay, and that's good. You want that. You yeah. want the numbers guy to think yeah. that. But, you know. To- totally. Feels a little. Feels a lot. Scary. Uh, it does just quickly on the D pairs there. I know I've talked about it to death, but it feels to me, and look, a lot of time left, I know, it feels like it'll start Riley Shen. Yeah. And then if something happens or you don't like it or whatever, then Lilligren gets in there. That's yeah. how I think that'll go. You know, I was talking to someone. Someone who works for an NHL team um, the other day, and they were talking about injuries and the you know the last few weeks and the first round. And look, teams get hurt mm-hmm. and have to win. Yep. Uh, you may remember Steven Stamkos playing two and a half minutes en route to a Tampa Bay Stanley I Cup. The goal he scored yes. in those two and a half minutes. You may remember Braden Point, who limped through a Leaf series, mm-hmm. played five minutes Never in Game Seven. Yep. In, yeah, he showed up in the finals yes, for a game right. or two. <laughs> And they win another Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. You know, it is, there's no excuses. Nope. Like, you know, I do bring up Tavares in Montreal a lot, but like the Leafs, if you do suffer some unfortunate bounce between here and there, you have to be built in a way and play in a way that you go, we got enough. We're not dependent on every little bit. Feels like ancient history. I know the most frustrating part about the Tavares thing was it didn't hamper them. They went and won the next three games and then just couldn't close it out because he was yeah. there. That's the most frustrating part about it. But I have a feeling there will be plenty of new things for me to get frustrated <laughs> about uh, a few weeks from now. Carolina just feels like such a treadmill team. They feel like they're going to be this group for the foreseeable future yeah. where they got a ton of really good players. And hey, maybe one year they have the goalie or Aho goes nuclear in the playoffs, or whatever that thing that can happen. Because every year when you look at it, and it is not a blue blood that wins it, when you look at the Capitals, okay, they were a really good team, but they stubbed their toe a million times. It was Ovechkin putting the team on his back, and it was goaltending being great, and you had Backstrom really good. It's possible Carolina has that, but they just feel like a team that's going to hang around forever, win around, maybe not, maybe win two, and they're just going to be part of this conversation. But I, I... I was really critical of them for not going out and pushing, getting a Meyer. Or, I mean, Patrick Kane is never going to go there, but yeah. it felt like a year to push your chips in. Well, it's interesting. I think they're an interesting debate, and I think of Tom Dundon when we have this conversation, mm-hmm. and I think he looks at the Carolina Hurricanes and he says, if we're awful for a stretch of years, yeah. I don't know if people are going to keep coming. And he's not wrong. I don't Yeah, you know, like you worry about the attendance and, you know, keeping it going mm-hmm. in a market like that. So when you're pushing all in... You know, you're pushing all in and saying we kind of have to win because yeah. you're trading futures and trading picks, and I think they're really cautious. Like three three years or three seasons ago, Carolina wins the Metro. Yep. 
Um, last year they win the Metro. Mm-hmm. This year they're going to win the Metro. Yep. Or you're close to yep. if they, they probably should. Next year, or sorry, and this summer they're going to draft eight times. Yes. No, nine times. So, you know, like they still have all their picks. They got all their first the next three years. Yeah, I think the thing that the only part that kills me about that pragmatic approach to it, and again, it's all is what smart. are you trying to do, win or well, no? It's that if you're going to do that, don't go sign the just to be a. And I love that they did this, but from a team building perspective, don't go sign the just to be a jerk offer sheet to Osbury Kakanyemi, who maybe it pans out to be a good deal, but probably ends up yeah biting you in the butt. At the end they of that, they need him now, boy. Yeah, they, well, that's the exact <laughs> thing about it is that if you're going to go and it's going to be, let's just build the right steps the whole yeah. way and go with it. Don't, and again, I'm so happy they did this for yes. the purposes of talking about it, but don't just have a mild freak out because Montreal did the exact same thing and now you're stuck with a player who's probably overpaid and maybe at the end of the deal it ends up looking okay. Yeah, I get that point. It is funny they're just looking at their draft pick. So they have a draft pick in every round for the next three years. So all seven, you know, 21 picks plus additional picks in three rounds. So 24 picks in the next 21 spots. Seth Jarvis is the Leafs' 13th overall pick. That we, never hurts. We hadn't mentioned this yet. And I wanted to make sure we mentioned it. Uh, we were talking about the about Mitch Marner in the first block. The play that he made off his bean last night. <laughs> He's the header. Is, uh, if that goes in, that's a top five greatest play in hockey history. <laughs> oh, <come> Stop. <laughs> what are you talking about? A puck around the boards, it rang around hard. He puts it up in the right direction, oh, lands on a stick, yeah. tic-tac-toe. Yarncroc waits all day to shoot it into the goalie's chest. I don't know if he waited any longer. Just shoot it into the wide-open net, man. <laughs> I was All we heard about was Yarncroc's release, and then that one he took his time on, didn't he? He took. He really waited around. That is an unbelievable play. Was awesome. I watched it a hundred times. Okay, here's what I equate this play to, and I'm going to bring maybe my hottest hockey take to, to the air here, is I equate it to the Ovechkin goal against the Coyotes where the one where he's rolling around, he's sliding on his back. And oh, yeah. He, it's an incredible play. The athleticism, the coordination. I just don't think of it as a hockey play. Like the play Mitch Marner made against the Oilers where he picked off the terrible pass that McLeod, I think, threw to him, and then he waits out and he puts between. That is an infinitely better hockey play to me. It's really cool. It's really, it shows his awareness and his creativity and all that stuff. And it should a thousand percent go on the Mitch Marner career highlight tape one yeah. day. But it's not really a hockey play, and that's why I think we should give it credit. But it's exactly the same as that Ovechkin goal to me, where it's I've really cool. I've heard you cool. slander that Ovechkin yeah. goal before. You think I'm terribly wrong it. about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely I do. Just because it happened in Arizona, and you're like, something good happened there. <laughs> um, and we would dive more in on that, but we do yeah, need to get don't. to Kristen Shilton. We're going to get to the break here, and we come back. We're going to talk to Kristen, NHL reporter for ESPN. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Real Kipper and Born. I am Justin Bourne, and we are now joined by Kristen Shilton, NHL reporter for ESPN. Kristen, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Thank you so much for joining us. We have been, um, we're, we're in the phase of the season where we just look at the playoffs and wait and talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs to death. So making an effort to move away from the Leafs here and there with some of our conversation. Um, you know, wanted to get your thoughts as we head towards the postseason about some of the the races 
um, you know, a tight one right now in the Metro Division. How are you feeling about things uh, shaking out there? Do you like the Rangers? This Devils team scores a ton. A lot of very good teams atop the Metro Division. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Metro has just been so competitive this year. And even just the entire Eastern Conference, you think about it compared to the West. And the Atlantic's obviously been good. But the Metro, you know, you've got Carolina there. You've got... Uh, you know, the, the Devils and Rangers both have such great young players on their squads and they have been having really breakout seasons. So you wonder where is that going to take them, that kind of youthful exuberance in the postseason. What could that, uh, what could that mean mm-hmm. for their prospects? And what a great thing for New Jersey, you know, a, a great comeback story. Haven't been to the postseason since seventeen eighteen. They've just been working so hard to kind of find their footing again, and now here they are. The the real interesting teams now are the Islanders and the Penguins because right. you look at those wild card spots in the East, and who's going to get it? Florida's you know suddenly back in the mix. Can Pittsburgh hold on? Uh, so really, you're you're wondering if. Pittsburgh can't, for example, if they can't, you know, hold on to that second wild card spot and they end up falling out. What does that mean for a rebuild, retool uh, situation uh, for the Penguins? So that's the fascinating part to me is that, you know, you'll get to playoffs and you'll see Carolina, New York, New Jersey. They're going to have, you would think, you know, really interesting first rounds. But I just want to know what's going on with this Pittsburgh team. And are they just too old? Is it just a matter of they need an infusion of youth uh, to really get back to being those perennial contenders? Yeah, it's funny. It's If you kind of look at a lot of the teams that have had these kind of two-half dynasties almost, if you want to call them, typically what happens in the middle of that is you get bad for a couple of years and you get your eighth overall pick or your ninth overall pick who comes in, and the Pens just haven't done that. They've actually traded away picks. They traded away the 15th overall pick for Kasperi Kapanen at one point in time. So, yeah, it would have been interesting to see what could have happened if they would have had that that kind of influx of young talent or or bet on the on the right guys. You know, we, we keep talking about the Devils, and, man, the, uh, this was a team that I was curious about heading into the season. thought they could make some noise never thought this was the year that that's coming for them the the question i think a lot of people have with them is just how will they fare in their first taste of playoff hockey you know the rangers are a big heavy team they've been through this before even their kids have been through this before in lafreniere and cackle whereas the devils it's all going to be new and yeah sometimes you can get playing with house money but uh man we talk about what a what a you know a, a death trap the atlantic is in terms of the leafs and lightning in boston it's not much easier at the top of the metro there no, absolutely not. And I think there's advantages on both sides for the Devils and for the Rangers. I mean, for the Devils, because you you don't know what you're getting into, you can maybe just play a little more freewheeling. You can just have fun with it. That's what New Jersey has been a lot of this year is just their kids finding their groove by doing what they do best. And it's not always pretty. It's not always the most well-structured hockey, but it's not necessarily their bread and butter. A lot of it is, I think, the creativity that the Devils have. And it's brought out the best in Jack Hughes. And Nico Hishier, you look at the, the year that he's had and just it feels like a confidence. And then Jesper brought the same way. Vitek Vanacek has really solidified them in net, which was such an issue in years past. They have confidence across the board, uh, I think, in every position. And that's where, 
when you lean on that, even if you're going up against a Ranger team that went all the way to the Eastern Conference Final last year, somewhat unexpectedly, I think we can probably say, I don't know if anyone had them pegged for that kind of a run, but that's what I think helped the Rangers last year too, was just that unknown of it all, is that, well, we can't overthink it because we haven't really been here before. So that's the advantage that I think the Devils bring in beyond just their talent is that you can't overthink something that you haven't necessarily been a part of, and they haven't seemed to overthink a whole lot this year. And, yes, Timo Meyer is a great addition, and, of course, you have uh, these these really rock-solid veterans on your back end that are, are going to make your defense tough. But looking at the Rangers, obviously they have great goaltending too. They added uh, a lot of, of players in the last couple of years who have been, you know, really – driving forces for their their success but as well you should note about new york though they've been through some ups and downs they're battle weathered this season as well they've they've definitely not had an easy run through the regular season so uh, i'm looking forward to that matchup only because it's it, is it the upstart in the devils who the unknown of it all is the advantage or is it the fact that you know new york's a little bit more bristled and that's ultimately what comes through yeah, Kristen, when, it's funny when we assume we know something about a team, we don't really talk about it a whole lot. And I, I'm talking about the Boston Bruins here where it's like, they're good, so we just ignore them. This mm-hmm. show, we haven't mentioned them today, nope. I don't think, uh, for an hour and a half. Uh, they may be one of the best regular season teams ever at this point. Here in Toronto, we're trying to find ways that maybe they might be flawed and eventually they could crack, you know, a couple of young goalies who haven't been through it, a new coach, Holland Felino injured right now. Am I just searching desperately? Do you feel like they're the perfect team, like my co-host who's usually here, Kipper, says? You know what? It's hard to argue that they're not the perfect right. team because they have <laughs> oh, been so good. However, the the thing about the playoffs, and if we're talking about the playoffs because that's really all Boston's you know, got on its radar at this point, having broken every record and, and done all of the things, if you look back even just a year ago to that series that they had against Carolina and you just think, well, how was it that the Bruins were a good team last year too, and then you get to the playoffs and you kind of run into an opponent that just does something better than you for six days, seven days. And that's the only position that I could see of any flaw for Boston is that they're they're going to go into the postseason against a team that maybe they don't know super well and that team is just going to throw something at them that ultimately they can't beat, you know, four times in a row or four times, sorry, over a, over a seven game series. And it's their, their goaltending has been so good, but at the same time, their goaltending is aided by how, you know, frequently they've been able to score, how consistent they've been defensively. They have all these weapons in every category. Their power play is good. Their special teams are good. Everything seems solid, but it's almost the the question is just whether that that you know team is is it Pittsburgh is it um, Florida whomever it is that they end up facing can they expose a flaw enough times in over the course of a seven game series that comes at you so quickly is that going to be how Boston is broken and we've seen it before obviously Columbus not you know we always are going to go back to 2019 and say how did they figure out the lightning and it's just if you go in just assuming you've got nothing to lose 
it's the only real potential Achilles heel I could see for for Boston is just not uh, you know not being able to know the team that they're playing as maybe as fully as they would want to uh, and somehow that exposes something in them but top to bottom at this point how do you argue how do you say that anything's not working for a team that just every single night they find a way and even when it looks like they're not going to find a way someone's making a save someone's blocking a shot someone's scoring a goal and it's just been kind of magical the run that they've been on yeah, uh, seven straight wins, and we barely talked about it. Uh, eight and two in their last ten. My best case scenario that I've been able to say is that things have just gone way too well for this team. The second the Allmark goal went in, I exactly. said, hmm, maybe that's it. Maybe just too perfect. Uh, I certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't be upset if uh, if that were uh, to happen to them. Want to switch gears and, and look at the West with you here? Uh, you know, obviously Colorado, I think, is the sleeping giant. I don't even know how sleepy they are. They're eight and two in their last ten as well. Here, you know, it's felt like a wide open conference all year because of all the injuries that Colorado has had, are they still the team to beat for you out there or is somebody else uh, potentially scarier? Oh, well, I have learned in years past to never bet against the reigning cup champions. So I wouldn't bet against them to still be the, the beast of the Western conference. It certainly bodes well for them to be getting healthy. And, you know, I covered Colorado for so much of, of last spring's run. And so I know that, they're just a team that handles adversity really well. They're a team that I think is really connected and close-knit. They understand what's coming because they've just been through it. So hitting their stride uh, at the right time obviously uh, lends itself to thinking they could be uh, a, a, a really strong contender again in the West. But I think the team that everybody's sleeping on out there is L.A. I mean, Los Angeles has, has really had such a, a strong year. They've been consistent. They've had their issues, obviously, in net early on, but that's been really stabilized. They made some good moves, I thought, at the trade deadline, and they're right there. You know, they're they're a, a heavy team. They've still maintained that identity of, of a defensive forward group, but they also have exciting scorers, and maybe that's what was lacking for them in the past was just that offensive output that they could create. And I really like L.A. in that sense. I like the balance that they have uh, in their game and maybe just a, a team that because they play in the Pacific around the Oilers and around, you know, some of these other clubs that have more high-scoring talent, you sort of forget that L.A. is right there in that category as well. So I, I do like them. Vegas has been good all year, but you just question their health and whether they can, you know, really – get back to, um, you know, feeling like that team we were talking about when they, you know, made the cup final in their first year, was that just sort of a, you know, was that a fluke or, or are they actually that good? Can they be that good again? Uh, so those are teams that I, I look at and, and think that they're really going to be kind of on the cusp of uh, leading the way for the West. But at the same time, you just don't know because the Western Conference has been so tough to bet on mm -hmm. the whole year. And Edmonton, you always want to bet on Edmonton because they have McDavid and they have Dreisaitl. But as the Oilers have shown, it just takes more than that. It takes more than just obviously raw skill and the incredible uh, success that they have offensively. You have to have the defense and the goaltending to match. So. That's always my my question with uh, with the Oilers is just can they get the defensive, um, you know, support that they get obviously uh, or that story that you need obviously to to be successful 
uh, and support your um, your offensive prowess. So it's I, I think it's wide open, and I think that's exciting for the West as well because that means maybe we see a dark horse emerge. Maybe that's the conference where we see a team rise up and, and really make kind of one of those Cinderella runs, and uh, that could be, uh, I think, something that, um, you know, really excites people as we get into the postseason. Yeah, in particular, the Central's tight. Right now, Minnesota's in first at 93 points, Colorado and Dallas both at 92, so a lot left in the air. Um but listen, you worked in Toronto. You're aware here in Canada, we pay attention to these Canadian markets. We're just dying for more than two teams to be interesting to have a chance. And so looking at Winnipeg or Calgary, like one of you guys, figure it out. They haven't figured it out. Looks like Winnipeg is going to sneak their way into the postseason. But what do you make of those two teams, Winnipeg and Calgary, and about how their seasons have gone? Personally, you know, I think we feel like they've fallen short of what we think they could be given their rosters. Oh, I mean, Winnipeg just at this point, like, don't waste this incredible year that Connor Hellebuck is putting together yeah. for you. I mean, he's going out there every night and putting on a show. He's been so good, and it just feels like he just deserves better, you know, than than sneaking into the playoffs. And, and that just is, uh, I think the Jets had some real momentum going, and they sort of, you know, they hit this skid, and, you see Bonus trying to pull them out of it and tinker and, and find out really how to push the right buttons. But I just think that, you know, the Jets are, are a good team with a tremendous, tremendous goaltender uh, who could very well win the Vesna this year. And you just don't want to see them kind of squander that opportunity that they have. Uh, and it's it just they're a good team. And you just wonder, is it a mental thing? Is it a is it just that mentality that they have that maybe they can't compete against the Dallas's and the Minnesotas in our conference? Is it the little brother syndrome? Whatever it is, it's they're just it just doesn't need to be there because Winnipeg is is I think a good team. Calgary is a different, you know, question mark almost because what did go wrong there? How is it that Calgary, was it just the departure of Goudreau and Kachuk that really changed the dynamic so much that they couldn't get it together enough to be that contender throughout the year? And now we're talking about them on the outside looking in. Is it Sutter? Is he not finding the right combinations? There's a lot I think you could go through on the, the Calgary front of why maybe their playoff hopes have kind of derailed but when it comes to Winnipeg there's just really no reason for it to uh to not you know be as good as it could be for them because they have so many of the right pieces in place and Josh Morrissey even is is a player that is, has had a great year on the blue line and and I think been really strong for them as well so uh if I'm Winnipeg I'm just thinking we've got to do this for for Hellebuck if nothing else we've got to get into the playoffs and we've got to give him some support and really just show that um you know that he's not backstopping you know a non-playoff team because they they should be uh able to not just get into the playoffs but you would think that they could be a real uh contender in the first round um and that's what i would have said about them a month ago and uh you know of nine ten games from now you'd like to be able to say the same thing yeah we always say a number one center is the hardest thing to find in hockey and i'm not going to sit here and say it's easy but the actual hardest thing to find in hockey is a goaltender that you feel one (laughs) thousand not not good about not a guy who's having a good year but a guy who has proven it and is continuing to have a good year and to squander that away i mean again we're stuck here in leafs land where at times it's been really good but we've been we're, we're sitting here 
holding ourselves back from talking Joe Wall into the playoff conversation. <laughs> and they got Hellybuck, and they're barely squeaking in. You know, I just want to dial down on the Flames, and yeah, it's possible there are changes. Obviously, there were a lot last offseason. Just looking at their record, and obviously it's a little simpler than that, 15 overtime losses. You cut half of those away and win those games. You're in the playoffs, and it's very tough for a team to have a stat like that. And look, not to say there aren't other problems and there aren't changes that need to be made, but you could easily talk yourself into, well, we played three-on-three 20 times this year, whatever the number is, and lost 15 of them if we just win Half of those or a handful more of those were probably in the playoffs, never mind all the other one-goal games that they they could feel should have gone their way. Like, it's such a tough thing with Calgary there because you can, from a management perspective or a fan base perspective, you could probably talk yourself into either narrative there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of of different, you know, quote-unquote excuses or reasons why uh, Calgary's in the position that it is. I mean, they haven't, you know, I think there was a stat about their third period comebacks. Like they haven't had any of those, and that's why they end up in in overtime so much. And there's there's just there's little things I think you could nitpick um, about the Flames and say, well, if this had gone right for them, or if that had gone right. But you know, it it comes down to the performance, right? It comes down to how effective were your best players at the most crucial moments. And Jonathan Huberto, obviously not a seamless transition for him to a new team. And you don't know that when you make the trade, you don't know that, you know, players that are coming in are, are going to fit. And I think Weegar has been great for their back end. Kadri, maybe you hear the rumors about him and Sutter. Has that been a bit of an issue? Is that not bringing out the best in your best players? It's, you know, there's just, there's a lot of little stat points that I think or a lot of little pressure points for the Flames that you could look to. And a lot of change is also tough at once to take on. And it wasn't a small overhaul that they went through in the last offseason. And you hope for the best in those moments, but it's also a long game. And for the Flames, maybe it is a longer, not rebuild, but, you know, just reintroduction to, you know, how are they going to play with, you know, some of these these big names that came in that if it wasn't working what they were doing this year, okay, well, how are they going to readjust it? How are they going to become a team that can win in overtime? And why can't they win in overtime? What's going on there that you do have talent? You have the Lindholms and the Toffolis, and you have guys who can score goals, Nazem Kadri, of course, Huberto. You have the talent. So why is the talent not bringing you the results when it matters the most. And that's where, you know, you go back to, is it coaching? Is it, is it goaltending? Jacob Markstrom's struggles, I don't think uh, certainly anyone would have, would have seen coming. And it's been a very up and down uh, year for him. And you can't, like, we're just talking about Hellebuck. Well, Markstrom's kind of almost on the opposite end of the scale where he was having such a tremendous season last year. And it was what propelled, uh, Calgary to to the success that they had and then in a year so much can change but I just think for the Flames they they really they did what they had to do in the offseason it wasn't deals necessarily that Brad Treloving wanted to make he did the best he could and if they don't make playoffs this year I'm sure that there will be more changes to come because there has to be this is a Flames team that's got great players in their prime and like the Jets trying to take advantage of Hellebuck, the Flames have to take advantage of who they have and, and how good they are right now and find the ways to bring out the best in those players. 
Well, we really appreciate all of your wonderful insight on these Canadian teams. It's hilarious that we called you and said, talk about Canadian yeah. teams, and you nailed it. So thank you so much for your time, Kristen. Thanks so much for having me, guys, anytime. All right, talk to you soon. That's Kristen Shilton, NHL reporter for ESPN. There you go. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, living in the U.S., oh, I watched yeah. a lot of that network. I and would imagine. Nice to have anyone involved yeah, in the hockey sure. side now. Yeah, just ESPN. the fact that there are people, let alone wonderful <laughs> yeah. people like Christian and other other people we'd like to get on. Uh, only only four more years at $6 million per for Markstrom after this year. Yeah, that's, that's tough. It. Well, he, you know, this is the thing with Sutter and, like, there are people there who are going to be there longer than him. Mm-hmm. And that's Kadri and that's Uyghur and that's Huberdo and that's Markstrom. Mm-hmm. So you would think he would feel some pressure to ingratiate himself with those guys. He just, I would not think that. He does not. <laughs> well, <laughs> good point. Also because I've heard him what speak, does he yeah. care? No. You know, like he's you just you, take my you, money and leave. I was you don't say, want me here. I'll be here and coaching the team or I'll take the money and go to the farm. And yeah. that sounds great to him. I want to be clear. I'd rather be coaching in the NHL than sitting on a farm. But for him, I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty good toss up. Cadre's ice time in December. He played 1833 in January. He played 1753 down to 1751. Mm. And in March, he's played 1443 Ooh. last game. He played 1234. Uh, and that was with four shots and a goal um, <laughs> game before he had seven shots and a goal. Oh, um, he's just starting to come around a little bit. He's been slumping pretty hard. I'm not going to say he's been playing great or anything, but um, yeah, pretty clear. Something up. Yeah. With, well, with him and derail. And they need a, they need a David camp there. That was what fixed all the Leafs overtime woes. Remember when they couldn't oh, win yeah. an overtime start game? Camp and and like, just start camp and Lilligren and Marner. It is funny though, that they have 15 OT losses and find themselves that, a I handful knew, of points out of playoffs. I knew the stat about one goal losses. I, I didn't realize apparently they were all in overtime, not yeah. actually, but pretty much all of them there. And that's the thing again, having not watched them, I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, if, maybe it's just an abject disaster, but you could really talk yourself into, yeah, it's a skills contest. And we lost a bunch of them. Yeah, they they get a ton of shots from outside, nothing inside. They're a strange team, but it is, you know, going into this year, I think we had high hopes for the Flames, who Mm -hmm. last year won the division, I believe. They did, and it's just, it goes back to the idea I keep saying, like, careful what you wish for when you completely nuke your franchise because it didn't go the way you wanted. Yeah, you know, the Jets... Maybe about where we thought they were, despite a hot start. This is probably preseason where I would have had them. Yeah, I think the difference is, is if you would have told Jets people, you're going to get the Connor Hellybuck year, and we're going to be calling, wrongfully so, but we're going to be calling Josh Morrissey, Josh Norrissey at points in time for this season, then they would have expected to have been in sure. a top three spot, but not like, wild card. But on top of those two teams, then Ottawa pushes their yep. chips in. You know, expected them to kind of turn things around. The Canucks, I didn't really know what to expect from them after what being so they, hot under What Boudreau. have they done? Ah, uh, they've they gone just on keep a tear. Games, I think in terms of winning percentage since they're the best. Yeah, whatever the date since is. Since got yeah. hired, like they're they're on fuego. Eight and two in their last ten. <laughs> so wow, that was a really good move, guys. I really mean, great. That is there hurt, a local? Is there a local kid who's a Canucks fan who might go high in the draft this year? <laughs> I, I heard there is. Borny, we said this a hundred times. We did. Like this is a dumb move. They're gonna get decent. <laughs> they have decent players. They're gonna be well. They're gonna be better coached. Apparently, they're running Quinn Hughes into the ground. Like, he's playing, well, not in the ground, but yeah. he's, he's up for three or four minutes per four. average from under Boudreaux to Talkett now. Former wow. friend of the show, uh, Rick Talkett, who we used to be on all the time. We miss yeah, that. We miss Talks hits. God. And it was just, I knew he was going to get hired because the text packs dried up. 
That's uh, that honestly, McKee called that. Like we were like, all right, let's get Taco next yeah. week. They're gonna send him a note. Nope. Send him a note. No text back. We went. I ca- called him multiple times, and he just like always got back to me. Like yeah. it would maybe take a little bit, but he always got back. Super courteous. Loved doing the show, and I was like, well, I think we may have lost him, boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's crazy? It's like he's there now. The Canucks are eight and two in their last ten. Mm-hmm. Demko is looking like Thatcher Demko again. Amazing. Quinn Hughes is getting Norris Trophy buzz. Yep. Uh, Pedersen's having a career awesome. year statistically. Uh, Kuzmenko is an absolute star I don't know. for he them. broke a record that Pavel Bure held. That's yeah. all you need to know for goals scored by, I think, a first-year player. Yeah, like, not JT a rookie, Miller yeah. is humming. It's like, I'm not saying that Boudreaux did a terrible job, but, like, things were... They have players. Mm-hmm. When you looked at the bottom of the standings and you're like, oh, I don't know about this team, that team, whatever. Yeah. I was like, the Canucks have players. So frustrating spot for them. You would have liked their failure to at least have resolved. They could still get a lottery ball. It could happen, but. Probably not. We mentioned. That would be great karma. Play well and get oh, the bounce. I would that love would that. would be. I'm, I'm not. Andy's not in the East. Have you guys. Right. I, watching the Flames is one of the. It's a chore. Chore. <laughs> That's the best word I've ever heard for that. They, they are an absolute chore. Like, they just feel like they're always, like, missing point-blank chances. They can't get a save. Looks like all the players hate each other. Like, the only way you get over seen, 18... like, three straight passes no. connect. <laughs> the only way they, you know, get a guy to play more than 18 minutes is if he played on the 2012 Kings. Like, there's just no... <laughs> it's like... like yeah. It's got to just suck yeah. playing for Sutter. No, it, like, it, you know when you're no good. Fun. When you're good, it's one thing. It's like you know you're listening to the message and you're running hot last year, and it's like yo, he's saying all the funny things. And he's talking about the farm, and you know, then you start sucking, and he's just he like be talking a lot about the farm. Yeah, he may be he may be throwing some hay bales around pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotta build those pipes back up. And... <laughs> like I mean, because if they miss the playoffs, I would imagine that his seat is going to be rather warm. I just you know one of those things where ownership may not love. Paying a guy well, millions yeah, it's to funny. not I was coach just, the I was team. Just reading, I was just reading a thing on coaches' salaries, and it's just they've ballooned in a big way in, yeah. in the last couple of years. And it's I don't. It's a lot think, harder to fire a guy. Well, when and it's he's like making... with, well, and the idea is that if you're Calgary, just given everything we outlined there, there are pieces you're not going to go. Ah, we'll get some project coach in here to figure it out. No, you're going to go get a real coach. And so, right. yeah. And it's again, it's a hockey market. Like this isn't a guy you can just plop in. He has to talk to one reporter a day. I know yeah. Sutter treats it like that sometimes, but he's Daryl Sutter. He's allowed to. Can yeah. I give a hot take on here that yes. I hadn't planned on giving yes. on here while we're doing t- the take show today? Absolutely. Edmonton and Calgary are vastly different hockey markets. Okay, I don't know this, so I'm I'm very curious to. I, I don't know it either. Okay. I, I'm, uh, this is my experience <laughs> from, from Twitter. The Love it. Okay. My experience from social media and the response I get to things I say about the team. Okay. If I am uh, slanderous towards the Calgary Flames, I get people going, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, totally, we suck." Yeah. <laughs> And if I suggest the Oilers are less than the best team on earth ever, I get DMs. I mm. get I get a mean like these people are paying attention in Edmonton, yeah. and oh, they angry. are they very much are. That makes I a think lot of expectations sense. Expectations with McDavid probably change things. It's that, and then There's it's pressure with it's, that. It's you. You are you know uh, as a Kelowna guy, famously a Toronto guy, uh, saying yeah, that about right. the Oilers. I think that's that's part that's and parcel with that too. Uh, you have an Oilers stat that I think is great. Yeah. So Dreisaitl, five goals away from fifty. I don't know if you heard Connor McDavid has already uh, clipped that marker. Yeah. He scored ten more actually. One hundred and thirty nine so points right now. Absurd. Every in, time seventy two games. Yeah. Every time I pull up the NHL stats page it just it feels like I'm looking at a wrong number but it's true yeah if he gets it and that's not 
it's not a guarantee. Uh, there's two or three guys sitting on 45 goals right now, and not all of them are going to get there. But Joey Saddle feels like he has a pretty good chance. Yeah. Be the first set of teammates to do so since the 95-96 Pens. Yogs and Mario. That is, wow, 27 years yeah. since it's happened. It feels. I did the classic thing where I'm like, oh, that was what, 15 years? No, it's not 2010. It is 2023. It would be shocking if there wasn't a year where McDavid and Drysaddle both scored 50. Yeah. Like if you look back at their careers. So I would bet a lot of money on him this'll, finding this'll a way there shock this year. You. Oilers, the only team that have ever had three teammates do it, and they've done it twice. With, Oilers, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So Anderson, they, Curry, Gretzky. Yeah, not shocked by that. No. Nope. Uh, Oh, go ahead. I, we're doing fun stats, and I got a fun stat, too. Three players in NHL history have gone from one team to another team and had 100 points in their last season with the old team and their first season with the new team. So back-to-back 100-point seasons, two different teams. Wayne Gretzky went from the Oilers to the Kings. People at home are trying to think of the next two. You ain't going to get it. You no, might get one. I, you won't, because yeah. I didn't. You, the one you may get... Jimmy Carson. Carson went from the Oilers to the uh, King, or sorry, Kings to the Oilers. Yeah. Um, and the other one is uh, Mike Rogers, who does not doesn't, own our company. Does but not even sound like a real no, guy. No, is, is a real person. Um, my point for telling you this is Matthew <laughs> Kachuk, three points away from joining that illustrious group, sitting on 97 points for the Florida Panthers. Right Boy, now. just a bunch of big names in that group. Mike Rogers, Jimmy Carson. <laughs> it's Wayne Gretzky and Matthew Kachuk. It's a pretty cool thing. I was going to say, he gets to be the second best guy on that list, I yeah. think, is what that means. Yeah, Carson shot yeah, in the net pretty But he you're did, right, Kachuk did. is definitely a... Uh, but let me has, tell you something. A lot of guys were shooting it in the net back then. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> a lot. Of, there, was, uh, there, was, there was a lot of net available back yeah. then. Uh, you know, I love my father, but I'm not yeah. sure he raised the puck in any of the goals I've seen go in that, in any of the highlights. I don't know. It's just the way the, the times were. The goaltending was so, different. So do you guys have any belief that McDavid's going to get 70? None, personally. He uh, And by the way... Because that's the front page on NHL.com yeah. right now is a piece by uh, our boy Mike Zeisberger. Yeah. Zeis. Zeis. He was out there covering it this weekend. So McDavid yeah. can do anything he wants. So if this is like a thing he's decided he needs to do, maybe he will. Like, I think he could maybe just score 10 in a game if he wanted to. You know, it's probably, well, it's probably he'll like get he a hat plays, trick tonight and all of a sudden it'll be like, tonight. okay, now it's happening. Plays the Yotes tonight. Oh, okay. Well, On cue. Yep. I, said, I said none. I'm going to walk back my none then. I, I feel like the Oilers kind of know where they're slotted in in the playoffs. I don't feel like there's a whole ton of incentive to push the hammer down. Here's the problem with that. Yes. Let me just give you that their schedule. That you can play for just points. Let me okay, just give, give me you, their schedule. So they got the Coyotes. They're Patrick Central, easily possible. Then it's just a bunch of teams who all would want to play well against the Oilers because there's a very real chance they could play them in the playoffs. You got the Golden Knights. You got the Kings. Okay, Ducks, whatever. Then you got the Kings again. And so you got, and then you have the Avalanche also at the end of the season. Now you have a couple games yeah. against the Sharks and a couple against the Ducks. So basically he's playing teams that have a real impetus to shut him down because you don't want him feeling good rolling into the playoffs and a bunch of teams whose season is already over. Yeah. So he could, yes, in those five games against Sharks and Ducks and Yotes, yeah. he could get 10 for sure. So 60 and 73, so his pace is below that. Nine games left to get 10 goals, but boy, it's Connor McDavid. So. I love, would I, you? What yeah. would you give for him to be sitting on... Uh, on 67 or 68 heading into that last game against the Sharks. Mm, I would love to see it. I yeah, would. You know what? I'd love that because yeah. that's all the team would do. Yes. And Connor McDavid, you get to see, do you want him switched on in that mode right before playoffs? Like, know. you know, th- that guy, and he's, remember when he scored 50? Yep. They lose to the, the, the Bruins are the best team ever to have existed, apparently. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Connor, 50. And he was like, we lost. I, yeah, <laughs> swallow the mic. Bob I hate bug. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so... 
Mr. Tough Grump. To, yeah, tough to adma- imagine him like getting fired up to chase a personal. But can you number. imagine like you put him in that game sixty-seven and you want him to get to seventy and he gets hurt or something? Oh yeah. Oh, oh, oh God. He's meets a meaningless game and it's like, do you want that number? It's like, oh boy. That's you know scary. what would happen? Might sit himself at They'd that point. blame us. They'd be like, those guys in Toronto ginned up the chase uh, for seventy, and look g- at what they did to our sweet it up. boy. Was in nineteen forty. Oilers got to be careful with the Kings. For sure. Like that's, that's two people came on today and unprompted volunteered the Kings as a sneaky good we, team. We were talking with the Kings last last week a little bit. They them getting Corpusallo was a big that's a big change. When your goalie is not like they traded away a legend cruelly to uh, <laughs> But you know they maybe they know what they are. You know what? That's also we talked a couple Admire times today about good sports karma. I don't is that good or bad sports karma to make the right decision to jettison franchise that's legend? A very good question. I don't know. I could be completely talked into either side of that. That it's great. You do the thing you need to do to win. You kill your beloved Jonathan Quick. But it's like, you also killed your beloved Jonathan Quick. The guy won you a couple mugs right before a playoff chase. I don't know. I could be talked into either side of sports karma there. Obviously, hockey-wise, 1,000% correct thing. This is, go ahead. He was truly dreadful with the Kings. Yes, he was awful. Yeah, he was, he was. And now the Golden Knights are banking on him. So this this actually brings me to a conversation I had with uh, Amber last night, with David Amber. Was it like, Bedard is playing for this Regina Pats team right mm-hmm. now who is not going to win the Memorial no. Cup. Like, not a great team. Yeah. And it's like they could have traded him. So apparently had he, yeah, he yeah. had like a no, no move trade or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. But like, you know, in theory, you ask the guy, whatever, mm-hmm. you could have traded him for 6,000 firsts yep. or whatever you would get for a guy <laughs> from, like Bedard. From, yeah, my kid would be going. But like, yeah, but like there is real value in having the history of Connor Bedard, totally. right? You're the, you're the Pats. You're the only place he was. His jersey's in the rafters. You know, he talks about you after his yeah. career. So, like, what's more valuable? The short-term make the Regina Pats better, yeah. you know, with all these picks and whatever, or getting to have the history of Bedard as your franchise? The the GM got asked about this, like, before the WHL's trade deadline, and he got livid about oh, really? the question of, Connor, it wants to be here, and he's not waving his no move, and he doesn't want to, but I'm with you. I think that, look, it's junior hockey, okay? The whole point of it is it's cyclical. You get your chances. You're never, you could trade Connor Bedard for every player that will be drafted into the WHL, and there is a real possibility that you will never get one as good as him. Now, yeah. add them all up. I get it. This <laughs> yeah. is what it's about, though, is yeah. having a guy to hold your franchise temple on. And would you love a Mem Cup? Of course. Of course you would. Yeah. But you get Connor Bedard for sure. All that is is magic beans. You're selling tickets. 143 points in 57 games this year. 71 goals, 72 assists. <laughs> 360 <laughs> shots 72 is a good 360 good shots. Three, 360 shots. Very good. Uh, in 57 games. So he's averaging about seven shots a game. It's insane. Five shorties. I'm Look at that. It's only well five. Round, well-rounded player. Yeah. Killing penalties. Get this guy out there. Wow. Seven shots a game. Well, average. from all the people I talked to in Arizona this weekend, I don't think there's a burning desire for hockey there. <laughs> no. no. I, I told you. I, when... I talked to some of the locals. They're like, yeah, we do not care. No. I told you, I lived by a gas station near me, and when I would go pick up a 12-pack of Diet Coke, which I was mixing my drinks with, I would get tickets to the Coyotes games that I would not use. (laughs) Uh, Go unused. But, yeah. Hey, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to the Toronto Six on the Isabel Cup yesterday. Yeah. Um, OT win, right? Yeah. OT win. They came back in the third period. Uh, The president of the team, Sammy Jo Small, I play hockey with her on on Sunday nights at uh, at Rennie Park. 
She's Does she use a goalie stick to play forward? No, she's just so solid defensively. But uh, <laughs> it's I, the right spots. In the right great. spots at all times. Your outdoor pickups. Yeah, yeah, she's great. just really in the right spots all the time. And I just wanted to give a big shout out to her. She's a wonderful woman, and uh, she did a lot of good work with them. And they won the cup. So absolutely good on them. And uh, great, so great call. That's a worthwhile one. Shout out to your boy who uh, is getting married. Oh, uh, Keegan. Yeah, Keegan, yeah. yeah. Shout out uh, to- Keegan's not in good shape right now. <laughs> I can tell you that He's right now. Through the I, we could be shouting. He could be right here, and we'd be shouting him out, and he wouldn't know. Is what yeah. I'm gathering here. Yeah, he is not in good shape. The whole crew is not in good shape. Like, listen, we're all mid 30s. Yeah, like I'm acting like I'm in my early 20s I out know. there. It's just not gonna work. And I threw up on a cactus after my bachelor party. Um, sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. So. Uh, anyways, that's what I wanted to give a shout-out for. So there you go, boys. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. I'll give a shout-out to you two guys. Thanks for it. Well, oh. Mickey, you just shut up. You, I, I would rescind my shout-out to you. But, Bourne, thank you for being such a wonderful host uh, all these days. You know, thanks for joining us. Um, any thoughts? So I don't know if you'll get to host again pre-playoffs. Yes. So do you, do, do you genuinely believe this year? Because, you know, by the way, I, I want to say, he gets called Super Fan Sam. Yeah. <laughs> And you guys have conversations where he has to say, dial it back a little. Yeah, dial it Gunner. back. Come on. It's just a <laughs> You love team. the Maple Leafs and their chances. You believe this year. I do. It's just as much about Tampa as it is about the Leafs, but I really do. Uh, so I'll say it now in case I don't get a chance to. And I'll cut all your grass before you have to wait to make your predictions. Leafs in six. I'm calling it right now. Wow. Not months even, away. Not even going to see seven. Oh, if it's eh? seven, they're losing. <laughs> Leafs in six. <laughs> to be clear, is Leafs in six or Tampa in seven are the two options yes, for you? Yes, 100%. All right. Wow, Gutter, I love that. Yeah, love that prediction. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Always fun. Thanks, Connor. Good having you today. Thanks, Sis, Sammy. We'll see you tomorrow. And everyone else will be back with Nick Kiprios tomorrow on Real Kipper and Born.